Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everyone, my name's Ant Fiorillo and welcome to episode 3, season 3 of Pubs, Pints, People. With me as always are Claire Phillips and Matt Bondi. Hello both of you. Hello. Hello, hello. Now I have to say I'm starting to get excited about the roadmap out of lockdown. <laughs> Although I, I must say it sounds, it sounds a bit like a better title for a rock album than a government policy. <laughs> I mean, like, roadmap out of lockdown. lockdown. <laughs> I'm with you, I'm buying it. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> that's my new career sorted. But um, I mean the prospect that we may be able to meet up in a real pub... <gasps> outside for the first time in a year soon you know it's quite tantalizing isn't it i mean the only thing i'm a little bit worried about is i don't know whether i'm going to remember what to do to be honest will i have lost what little bar presence i had so when i get served <laughs> yeah, will so i try and serve your groove around the bar <laughs> yes i mean my, yeah where my elbow usually sits you know <laughs> yeah. I, I mean will i try to serve myself from the pump because i'm so used to drinking on my own at home who knows i think i'll probably remember what to do in a pub but I know, I know what you mean. I mean, you could always, I suppose, check out how they behave in, say, EastEnders in the Queen Vic. A bit less of the, get out of my pub! And, uh, not, not so many murders. I've got to say, perhaps a less scandalous storyline than, you yeah. know, a Thursday night at the local. But good advice, good advice. Now, listen, since we last spoke, the final printed edition of Cameras What's Brewing has hit doormats, and I got mine just the other day. But because, as we know, the new online platform should be launching in the very near future, which, of course, we can't wait to get stuck into. Now, in the past couple of episodes, we've also been marking Camera's 50th anniversary and celebrating the fact that today, all of us have an amazing choice of superb beers when we visit our favourite pubs. But think for a moment about those who love a drop of cider and perry. Yes, my cider and perry brever out there. We can remember back in the days when, thanks to camera, let's not forget, beer lovers were finally starting to find some decent hand-pulled ales in their pubs again. Cider drinkers back in the day were still faced at that time with factory-produced drinks Ooh. that were, I, I believe they were the cider equivalent of Watney's Red Barrel. Oh, yeah, that's, um, that's not a badge you wear with honour, is it? That's <laughs> not a badge, no. But, um, and if you're crazy enough to want a glass of perry, then your only option was the teeny tiny classic bottle of Baby Sham, wasn't oh, it? Oh, do you remember <laughs> the oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, a little cocktail cherry in it as well. Oh. I'm actually feeling my teeth start to itch thinking about how sickly sweet yeah. some of this mass-produced cider that we used to have was. But thank goodness we're now seeing a renaissance in real cider production. And of course, we can be proud that many parts of Britain boast the finest ciders and perries in the world produced with local ingredients. Now, hang on a sec. I'm sure a lot of people want to know the answer to this or even may know the answer. But is it really as simple as ciders are made from apples and perry from pears? Well, if you go to the website of HMRC, which I have to say I only do on the 30th of January, just before I have to do my self-assessment thing. But um, <laughs> their basic definition that they use is... As you say, um, perries are for pear, from pears and cider from apples. But I don't think anyone would be surprised to find out there's a strong desire in the quality cider producing community to create an accepted definition for something that can be an artisan product made by a genuine enthusiast to differentiate from the mass produced brew that's been filtered, pasteurised and artificially carbonated. Mm. To be honest, yeah, I'm part of the problem. The fact that I can call the swill that I make for my apple cider, you know, shows something's wrong with the definition. But, you know, I have tried many a mass-produced pint that I think is hardly fit to call itself fizzy apple juice, never mind the hallowed title of cider, I'd have to say that. And I'd say there's a lot of parallels, isn't there, with the real ale and craft ale movements wanting to separate the products they make from mass-produced beers. 
Uh, it does, and actually that brings us quite nicely onto our first interview of the episode this week, and that's with Susanna Mansfield, who joins us to chat with Dave Matthews from the Bowes Tree Cider Company in Herefordshire, in the county, of course, that's synonymous with the SAS, and with acre upon acre of cider apple orchards. In this dive into the archives, we head to the year 2000, and the first of Camera's Good Cider Guides by Dave Matthews. Bartistry Cider and Perry, run by Dave and Fiona Matthews, is another of those frustratingly small, if you know it, you know brands like Coombe Maddock and Artistraw that Herefordshire keeps almost entirely in house and which are near impossible to find online. They are well placed to chart the changes in craft cider over the last 20 years. Both are involved with Discover Cider, and Fiona is a founding member of Cider Women. And I believe, Dave, that you got involved uh, in cider in a very similar way to me through camera and via beer along the way as well. So how did you end up moving from Wales and setting up Bartistry? Well, we made cider in Cardiff, uh, uh, Cider Die, uh, from 2000 to 2013. That was just like a little part-time thing. I was a full-time teacher. Uh, and then I managed to give up full-time teaching in 2013. And we'd always wanted to move to the country and make cider and all that kind of thing. So we sort of cast a net far and wide across cider land and uh, ended up in a little village called Bartistry. With uh, one of the fanciest pubs I've ever seen, having visited you recently. Yeah, very fancy architecture. Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, so I came down and visited you recently to pick up some stock for um, one of my businesses. Have you found that the pandemic's hit your sales at all? Oh, massively, yeah. I mean, thank you for for (laughs) buying some cider. We need more like you, uh, please. Um, Yeah, I mean, hugely. I mean, uh, basically, all the events our main sales are through events our food festivals cider festivals we have a stall that we do about eight a year and they're, they're very big for us and very important they've all been cancelled of course uh, plus uh, a lot of the pubs have, have not been selling cider or have, have switched or whatever so we were left with a very difficult situation where we've got about half of our stock left and we normally sell out by yeah. September uh, and we now have got to decide will that stock last because we've got no experience of keeping say draft side along within 12 months or will it go off and also will the market recover or not and we've got to make that decision very quickly because we're starting to make cider and perry now how much do we make we don't know it's very difficult uh, and financially we're just about making more than we're we're, we're spending because the fixed costs haven't changed things like um, insurance for the pickup truck insurance for the trailer insurance for the company as a whole and all these things fixed costs which work against us anyway because of the small size we are they've remained and sales have gone down so it's a it's a very difficult time to run a business it is it's a time of constant flux in the industry and uh, i'm certainly finding that from the retail side as well what you're telling me from the producer side is definitely tying in with everything i'm hearing from other people um there's a lot of people struggling with capacity this year uh, which brings me on to looking at the long-term changes within the industry. So, for example, when we look at the Good Cider Guide that you published in 2000, there's, what, three producers listed in Wales? And now the Welsh Cider and Perry Association lists 35, and we've got more than 650 nationally. It's quite an astonishing growth, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how that transfers to, to volume. The traditional producers were farmers, and a lot of the lovely old fellas who made cider in 2000, like... Uh, Rodney Summers uh, have sadly passed on Um, but lots of new producers have started typically people who've maybe moved out of the city in uh, sort of middle-aged years and want to start making something from the countryside so that kind of producers on the up and the traditional farm producers on the down Uh, in Wales in particular I mean in 2001 I founded the Welsh Perry and Cider Society and that did help with the growth of new producers in the area uh, and it was a lot of fun as well. We made a lot of good friends there and, and had lots of lovely cider festivals at the Clyther Arms and then latter years at the uh, Caldercott Castle. And everything like this does help inspire people to make cider, to drink cider, to write about cider, to sell cider. And it does sort of snowball if you've got enthusiasts in the right place doing the right thing. Absolutely. I always say that the easiest way of selling cider is to just hand someone a glass of something delicious and say, try that. So, yeah, the more opportunities you've got to try something delicious, the more likely you are to want to sell it and get into it and try making it. So how many of these producers that are now commercial, did they all come from being um, hobby makers, do you think, uh, that just decided to start selling a little bit as well? Or are they brand new producers? It's a lot of it is people making a small bit on the farm or at home and then 
if you give them the opportunity, they'll they'll grab it at both hands. Like James Perks and Sally Perks, they're Raglan Sidermill, or they were, they've moved to Oxfordshire now, but they were a major part of the Welsh scene for many years. They moved house to, to Raglan back in I think, 2003, 2004, and the weekend they moved, they saw there was a cider festival at the, the, their local pub, which was our cider festival. So James came along, he was voted a customer of the festival, <laughs> at the end of the festival because he, he tried every single cider there was a lot of cider and he was a very affable friendly fellow as well then him and Sally decided to start making cider so you, you can see how it can sort of snowball mm, very quickly and I've met so many people myself included I suppose that you start drinking it and all of a sudden you're selling it you're making it um, you know it just it's really strange how quickly it grabs you it does grab you and I think I've always said about cider and beer beer is a drink and a very good drink uh, but cider is actually a way of life and you get into it and you meet the people making it you go to the orchards you get involved with the seasonal cycle of making cider and drinking cider and it's a way of life beer is very good arguably has more options for balance and complexity having two main ingredients as opposed to one with cider but cider is a wonderful way of life that no other drink i know of in the uk can offer so do you think the uh, the changes in the way we've been presenting uh, cider now has changed significantly um, and do you think that that's having an effect on the market yeah i think uh, the last f- few years we've we've had all sorts of innovations which have been absolutely wonderful the full juice magazine craftcon cider salon uh, the ciderologist um susanna forbes has got heavily involved cider women you know the cider buzz in manchester a lot of good people have started doing a lot of good things they've all kind of come together whether that's a coincidence or not i don't know but it's, I think it's made a huge difference, and we're getting people really appreciating cider as a fine drink. I mean, many years ago, uh, Julian Tampoli of uh, Borough Hill Cider told me that if he said to me, if cider is to make its renaissance, we must have a product fit for the dinner table. And I absolutely agree with that. And I think we are now finding a product fit for the dinner table uh, that's not mimicking wine, because I think that would be a mistake, but is being a product in its own right and proud of its heritage and proud of its its roots and the way it's made. Mm. One of the things that struck me as I was looking through the cider guide was that in common with the beer world of the time as well, you've got this very clear distinction between what is good, real ale, real cider, and what is bad, industrial cider. And I feel as a retailer at the moment, we've got a greater range in the higher quality stuff, but it's also a wider way of drinking. Um, so we've got all these uh, these lovely fine cider bottles like the 750s that you yourselves are doing that are better for the dinner table. And that all just seems to have exploded in the last three years doesn't it and what what do you think's changed what's happened i think it's just these good people have come on board i mean for years people like uh, myself and tom oliver have sort of batted away trying to get things you know improved and uh and then these people also uh, don't forget um pete brown as well world cider guide and the, and the stuff he's done for side of the books he's written a lot of good people have just come on the scene all, all at once i don't know why but certainly cider and Perry have always deserved that kind of person, that kind of attention, because we've got something which is ingrained in British culture in terms of particularly the varieties more than any other drink. You know, all the British wine, I'm sure I'm sure it's fantastic. I don't drink it, but I'm sure it's fantastic. But I don't think any of it's made from an English variety. Beer, the, the fashionable craft beers are all got these American hops in. I'm making, uh, yesterday I pressed six gallons, and it was a heck of a job for these <laughs> tiny pears, a pear called Homer, uh, that comes from, Homer's a, a suburb of North Hereford, incredibly local. Uh, the juice coming off the press, I had a little sip, it was incredible, dark and aromatic, uh, tasted almondy, incredible stuff. These flavours and colours and aromas that are so local to us only exist in Cider and Perry not in the other drinks so we've got so much more to push and be proud of and i think it's in a way almost inevitable that we're going to attract these good people 
Yeah, so everything's just sort of coalesced at once, hasn't it? The, the right people have got interested. The uh, the quality products are, are there on the market, um, and quality is a, a thing that people are really pushing for now, which is um, one of the things that's really exciting me about the market. Yeah, yeah, it, it is exciting and it is wonderful. Lastly, if there was anything that you would like to see change um, to change the way that people perceive cider what would that be and how would you like to see camera promote that and campaign for it yeah that's quite an easy an easy one it's something i've been pushing for a long time um over the years there's been a lot of initiatives trying to sort of help the customer distinguish between a craft product and an, a mass-produced cider uh, i think all of these initiatives over the years have, have sort of been the kind of quality mark type of initiative where focusing on juice content for example the small independent cider makers i think they they do the 90 percent juice thing those initiatives are, are trying to do the right thing and and there's been a lot i mean even i did one i started off the the pdo for welsh cider back a long time ago which was again a pure juice 100 percent juice but i think i was misguided i think all these initiatives don't particularly work if you take the 90 percent one uh, if someone makes 85% cider, they're going to say, well, what about me? And then someone like myself, who, who makes 100% juice ciders, might say, well, I'm not going to label my cider in 90% juice. I think they're fraught with difficulty, the quality marks. So what I mentioned a few years ago at the one of these camera, what was it called again, the reinvigoration meeting, I brought up uh, my suggestion then, which is basically ingredient listing. I'd like to have a law where every uh, alcoholic drink lists the ingredients especially juice content but also lists the processing is it pasteurized is it microfiltered, etc uh, etc et so the customer can choose we're not forcing our opinion on them camera over the years has had a definition of real ale, real cider we're not saying to you this is good this is bad but we're facilitating the choice and i think if you look at sausages for example you you can look at the percentage of meat in a sausage in the supermarket now you can pay less for a 30 percent meat or you can pay more for a 90 percent meat and that's entirely fair and it should be the same for juice content the customer should be able to pay more for a 100 percent juice product and and less for a 35 percent juice product and i don't think anyone can argue with that so i'd like camera to campaign for that to run its festivals with every cider and beer for that matter label with ingredients and processing and allow the customers to choose i think that's a really good idea and again from the retail perspective i really would love to have that because now i'm deep enough in the industry and know enough people that i can just go and ask um people like you but so much of the time if i label the cider as keeved say the the amount of questions i get asked and even what's a perry um i get asked that several times a week um, and even just having that kind of information, even if it's not explained in full on a label, um, but it's there, people start to wonder about it. So, yeah, I am all for more accurate, more information on labels. Thank you for the chat. It's been really good. I'd just like to finish off by pointing out that in the 2000 Cider Guide, you introduced a relative newcomer called uh, Tom Oliver, producing less than 7,000 litres a year at the time. As many listening to this will know, including uh, our beer listeners, I suspect, um, Tom is now one of the few global superstars in cider. We don't have many, so we'll uh, claim the ones we do. And there's an interview with him in Series 1, Episode 4 of this, uh, of this podcast, if you fancy going back and having a listen. Thanks for joining me, Dave. Very good, thank you. Wow, where do you start on that interview? There's so much to talk about. And the first thing in my mind is how sad it was to hear about yet another business that's been hit once again by the COVID curse. Fixed costs, reducing sales, but also the thought of him having to make that decision on whether to dump so much of his stock. That must be heartbreaking. I think I would genuinely cry if it was me and I was having to pour stuff down the drains. And I do wonder what the options would be around making a Hereford equivalent of Calvados, which is an apple brandy. Uh, If anyone out there has any ideas, then I'm sure Dave will be happy to listen. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, as, as I said in the interview, the best way to show support for small businesses like Bart Street Cider Company is to buy their products. And I actually, uh, we, we, we've we helped a little bit with that. Uh, well, one of our very lovely listeners has because we've been uh, bought a special treat. Yes. And, uh, we've been mm. sent from catsinthegla.co.uk, a wonderful online cider and beer store. And it's set up by Nikki Kong and Dick and Kath Wivercombe, who were the founders, actually, of the Manchester Cider Club which I know does some wonderful work around that area. And the one I was uh, lucky to be sent from their selection box was actually a Bart's Tree Cider. So I am drinking that right now. Whoa, it is absolute, absolutely delicious. It's beautiful. It's a crisp, golden. It's got a bite to it. And what I like about it, and I know I'm a bit old-fashioned, so I like to know the apple varieties that, I am, that I'm drinking. A bit of a geek like that. And it's proudly displayed on the bottle. So it's a bite of Foxwell, which it really is. It's got a real bite to it. Um, and it says to be eaten with cheese. So I'm going to be uh, finishing it off with a pizza later. So I hope <laughs> forgive me for that. But uh, uh, f- thanks very much to... Uh, the cat in the glass of that it kind of made you know kind of listening to the interview and drinking at the same time it was taste while you listen nice. which was, i recommend to all the mm. listeners you i always say that don't i but uh so order your own as well and you can you can drink along with me <laughs> now back to the interview though when when i heard susanna's comment about it being the fanciest pub i actually looked up the godwin's public house on street view i was listening and drinking at the same time like, <laughs> multitasking multitasking as a we're doing it and it really is it's just an amazing building it just kind of seems to spring out of nowhere and i think it might have to be a list of my places to visit it's probably a future here for the beer or here for the cider i would say i'd love to see if it's uh, as amazing on the inside it is on the outside and and have a cheeky glass of cider at the same time i am right behind you with that one matt and you know what dave is a genuine campaigner for quality in cider production and sales too and you heard in the interview about the challenges of creating a quality standard that consumers can really trust and get behind and i think he's got some really good ideas on that front i mean wouldn't it be amazing if real cider became the first consumer product with a complete guide to not only the ingredients but also listing the important aspects of production like pasteurization and filtering really would be something talk of places to visit though camera's good beer guide can help you find pubs in your area and lists where they serve whether they serve real ciders and perries and if you want a copy of the Good Beer Guide 2021, well, it's available via the Camera Books link, and that's on the Camera website. We've got to get the plug in. It's here next to me now. It is a great read. I love that. Now, I have to say, I'm, I'm curious about the aspects of quality that came up in that interview, because I think you know a lot of people listening to this will be familiar with the same kind of discussions for real ale. You know, so when, remember when hazy IPAs became the thing, didn't they? It became the big yeah. thing, and all all the poor bar stuff had to kind of explain that. No, that's what you're meant to look <laughs> yeah. like. You know, it's not. It is quality. I promise. I think I may have been one be. of those customers at the start of that movement uh, who, who got the pint and went, "Hang on, what?" <laughs> it's a, it's a similar problem with, with cider. You know, it can be so varied how it looks. You know, but particularly when you're talking about mass-produced ones, are always filtered to death. You know, there's going to have hardly anything left in them. Whereas, you know, ciders can come in all in all wonderful colours and, and cloudy and uh, as you would like. But I mean, if you're naturally curious like me, what I'd urge you to do is to check out Susanna's video on cider quality, which is actually on the Learn and Discover section on the camera website, um, which has got so much good stuff on there, hasn't it? But I mean, she she knows what she is talking about she is she is the top expert on on this so i always um like to watch anything that susanna does and because she works in the cider industry and she's also a certified pommelier i'm guessing this is like a sommelier but for cider rather than wine <laughs> that is the one i think it's one of my one of my aspirational t- i would love to be a pommelier one one day you know <laughs> but, but um I, I don't think i'd be allowed to be you know but given <laughs> the cider that i make and <laughs> So it's an industry qualification backed by the Beer and Cider Academy, and it first started in 2018. And I think it's that kind of qualification. You know, it's indicative, isn't it, of a move towards quality. You know, if we're setting that there are experts out there who can, can help with defining this and, uh, and consistency at the same time. And I think that's great news for the consumer as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't agree more. I think this whole idea of word of mouth and, you know, even when you stand at the bar... I'll often quite happily take a recommendation from a stranger who might be drinking a pint of what I fancy if they tell me it's a good beer or whatever it might be. So, um, mm, Certainly, yeah. me too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right, well, it is now time where we'd normally move into the Here for the Beer section to discuss some of our favourite pubs, and obviously this week we've got to rename it Here for 
the cider. Uh, and now, before we start on our own favourites, one of the volunteers piped up who works on the podcast and has asked me to put in a good word for the Beerheads Micro Pub in Nottingham. Oh, I mentioned Nottingham just last week, didn't I? Uh, right next to the train station, I know exactly the place. Before think before things went crazy, Beerheads would always have a great selection of real ciders and perries for the thirsty traveller. Uh, and that particular pub is interesting because it's located in the old horse-drawn cab driver's shelter on the side of the station building. I can see it now in my head. And I remember it. I think it might have even jumped in there as one of the first ones when we got off the train. But for decades, it was used as a storage shed. And then a few years ago, it opened up as a micro pub, which I think we can all agree is a much better use for that building. Um, now, it's too small to have a kitchen, so I suffered badly under the COVID substantial meal thing. Uh, but fingers crossed, we'll see it reopen again very, very soon. Is that yeah, beer heads with an S? Or is that beer, beer heads with a Z? With heads. a Z. That's very trendy, that. It's I like that. Yeah. I can imagine yeah. the logo on that. Oh, lovely, lovely. <laughs> and so... that, that, that's, that's one for the list that, uh, that I've got to go to as well, I think. Absolutely. And so I am opening up my green book, The Good Beer Guy 2021, as we do uh, on our episodes. Yeah, we're and, only uh, here for the beer. We're can you hear us flicking through it, listeners? Listen to that. Oh, look at all the well. think yeah. of all the pubs you know, in there. It's Listen to that. that. It's, got that <laughs> it's got that fresh book smell. Really? You know? Yes. Because it's because it's, it's fat with lots of pages. Um, it holds its smell a bit longer than some of my other big ones on the bookshelf. Oh, mine, mine just smells of all the highlighter pen that I've been through mine with already. <laughs> <laughs> mine smells of possibility. Oh, oh. <laughs> that, that made me vomit a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> okay. So, I'll tell you what, Mr. Bundy, why don't you start us off this week? Obviously, with the Cider and Perry episode, I, I started thinking through some of the Cider's traditional homes. You know, I was thinking through some Hereford entries, Somerset, Cornwall. But as you know, you know, I'm quite I'm on good terms. I'm pretty well in with the Camera Apple Committee and my Cider and Perry <laughs> family. And what, what I didn't want to do is to start a civil war by claiming that one of them was the true home of cider. Let us not do that. So what I thought I'd do is I'd look for a pub that stocks ciders from all over the wonderful cider-producing regions of the UK. And, so, and I've actually ended up coming really close to home <laughs> um, and, and talking about my local, which I talked about in the very first episode. So it's, it's the Rising Sun in Berkhamsted. It's because it says in its guide entry here, um, it serves five real ales, but 15 wow. real ciders that they have uh, down there on offer all the time. And I, I can't wait to go down uh, by the canal and, and just sample that variety, uh, which would be lovely to have. I should mention that we had an email um, following our last episode, actually, when we were talking about uh, beer cities. And Tony Green in Ipswich dropped us a line at podcast at camera.org.uk. Now, although he's in Ipswich, he wanted to recommend Norwich as a beer city and one that we should perhaps look at for a future episode. And he sent us a list of nine pubs, eight of which are in the Good Beer Guide. And I'm ashamed to say I've been to Norwich Quite a few times. Well, more than quite. I used to work in Norwich, for goodness sake. And I'm not sure that I've been to any of the pubs that were on Tony's list. Shock horror. You should be ashamed. (laughs) I know. I know. But there are a lot of pubs in Norwich and I have been to some of them and their beer festival. So I hope I'm excused. Anyway... um, of, of the pubs that he listed, I thought, well, let's have uh, one of Tony's recommendations, sedition for my We're Only Here for the Beer Choice, or the cider in this case. And it is in Norwich. It's called The Artichoke. And um, apparently there are lots of changing beers. It's owned by the Golden Triangle Brewery, and it does have ciders as well. That's uh, certainly one that uh, I should be looking at on a future visit to Norwich. Well, my choice this week is a little bit mushy, so you'll have to forgive me. But um, back in back in the courtship phase of my uh, me and my wife and uh, our, our blossoming marriage that soon followed after, um, I would often get the train from my hometown of Manchester up to where she lived, uh, down to where she lived rather, to Chester, and that would usually mean going to Manchester Piccadilly bus station and walking over to the train station uh, from there. Now, of course, on the way, I would usually have to wet the whistle and perhaps get a bit of Dutch courage before I met my father in-law for probably what was the first time 
Um, and I remember stopping in uh, not just once, but on many occasions when I used to go up on a Friday afternoon for the weekend uh, at the Port Street Beer House. Now, those in Manchester will know exactly where that is. It's just opposite Brewer Street, and it's um, it's, over, it's split over two floors. Gorgeous, gorgeous building. Um, it's you know the walls were adorned with pictures of beer festivals from the city in years previous, um, and it used to actually be a shop. So there's plenty of space, plenty of vibrancy, uh, and what's more important, there's a wicked selection of cask beers, real ciders, perries, you name it, and it's all in one tidy package. And with it being just a short hop to the train station from there, it was always a good excuse to stop in on the way. So, um, yeah, that's probably one I'd love to go back to, perhaps with my wife, when we end up back in that neck of the woods again. But yeah, Port Street Beer House for me this week. Sounds great. Anyway, moving on to our second interview. It's the story of one of those amazing and some would say crazy people who've decided to totally change their life and open a bar. We're going to hear Cameras Kath Potter talking to Katie Mathers, who opened Corto Clitheroe in December 2019 in Clitheroe, Lancashire. And I love the mission statement on their website that says she's celebrating weird and wonderful craft beer, natural wine, science and Perry. My name is Katie Mather. Um, I started as a beer blogger all the way back when I was called Katie Taylor. And um, I got into beer writing just because I found it quite interesting and then got interested in the industry um, more than I got interested in the actual writing and reviews of beer. And then after that, I started pitching to editors. I started writing for Original Gravity magazine and for Ferment magazine, um, who I still write for uh, regularly. Now my most recent is for Pella. And within that industry, I then got interested in cider. Personally, I'd always drank cider. It was what I drank before I drank beer, actually, when I was younger. Uh, although you probably wouldn't have approved <laughs> for the sort of ciders I used to drink a long, long time ago. But then I also got interested in wine as well, because I can't ever do one thing at a time. Um, I started researching everything all at once, and that's where I'm at now. So as a writer, I kind of call myself a drinks writer now, uh, just because I like you know I'm interested in all sorts of areas of the drinks world uh, and I've also it, because like I said one thing isn't enough I have also just opened um, a bar or a shop as it is temporarily with my husband Tom. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about Corto? Why did a beer writer and a home brewer decide to make this massive career move right now? <laughs> um, well, we didn't decide like, oh, this year's full of doom and gloom and the worst time ever to open a bar, let's open a bar. <laughs> we, we had decided years ago that it was something that we wanted to do. And actually, it was sort of a low-key dream of mine way back when I was even still at university doing journalism. I kind of always wanted, you know, the dream cafe slash bar in some sort of market town somewhere and um then I met Tom and we sort of discussed it as a sort of like way down the road dream you know uh one day we'll have a, a little bar and we'll sell things that we love and like little snacks and it'll be a really happy chill kind of place and then a couple of years ago circumstances in our lives changed I went freelance and Tom started thinking about what he wanted to do with his career and we started thinking more seriously about this dream and realising that it wasn't necessarily so out of reach. It was not going to be easy to do by any stretch, even when there wasn't a pandemic on. But we just thought it was something that we really wanted to do. So then we put some business plans together probably about three or four years ago now, actually. Put it in the back of our minds all the time, waiting for things to sort of occur that might take us in that direction and in sort of December 2019 we found our current venue so it's taken a long time but we're here now. <laughs> I think it's amazing that you've done it. I believe the name comes from a trip to Spain. Um, oh can yeah. You tell us about the concept. So actually I was invited to go to Castile y Leon by some hop growers down there for the, the Spanish yard Orbigo Valley and um, I didn't really have anywhere in mind for an article but I just really wanted to go and experience the place and I was told you know help out on the hop farms which actually didn't need my help at all everything was under control I was more of a hindrance than anything else um, <laughs> but it was such a cool experience and such a beautiful place and it kind of really spurred on my love of Spain in general I just um, I loved it there and one thing I loved was the culture the traditional tapas culture within the city of Leon which is such a gorgeous 
ancient city and so all through the city there's these ancient buildings but loads of like new vibrant things happening as well and one thing I love being a part of was this really old tapas culture but it's just full of like vibrant new ideas so there's a brand new brewery there called Four Lions and Geraldo and Paco from that brewery took us round with Oscar and Oscar who were from the hop yard and um, Corto, the name itself, it was the tiniest little beer that you could get in the, in the town, like on the tapas menus. So all the tapas dishes were free, but in order to get the free tapas, you had to buy a drink. And so the cheekiest thing that everyone used to do was get this Corto, which is about 100 mil, 150 mil of beer. And I just thought it was so nice that like it was just this given that no one's going to order a large glass of red. No one's going to get a pint. They're all just going around with these tiny, like endless amounts of these tiny little beers and getting some delicious food. And I love that relaxed nature of it. Just we're not expecting anything of you. Come in, enjoy yourselves and we'll see you again next week. And I just love that. I know that you're a qualified beer judge and that you've trained in, in wine and you've spent time in a German vineyard. But what about Cider and Perry? Is, is that a newer experience for you? Writing about it certainly is. Um, it's probably as new to me as writing about wine in that um, there are people out there who are far more qualified than I am to talk about it in more detail. I've kind of just at the moment would class myself as an extreme enthusiast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do love getting to know the, about the new producers and uh, I think it kind of feeds into this sort of obsession I have with needing to know everything about a certain subject. I don't just want to drink it and go, that's nice, it tastes like this. I want to know, like, this particular person used this particular apple and blended it with this and put it in this barrel and aged it for this long and this is what happened. That's that's the part I love. So it's like a, a personal connection with the drink. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's true of my interest in beer and wine and cider is that I love the stories behind the drinks. I know that's not really an original thing to say, but it truly is the part that I find the most exciting is drinking something, finding it incredibly delicious and then learning that the reason it tastes that way is through all of these different decisions that the maker has you know, made along the way. Brilliant. So you know that internationally cider is the fastest growing drink sector. Why do you think that Cider and Perry is currently undergoing this sort of renaissance and, and leading some to describe it as the most exciting drink at the moment? I was having um, a bit of a think about this the other day, actually, and it's quite fascinating, isn't it, that it is such a an ancient drink. It's been around for centuries, but it feels really fresh at the moment. There's some there's some sort of like newness about it, and I think that's what's intriguing people about cider. It's it's like cider is here, and it's not as you've always understood it to be. And I think also people are much more interested in having like a connection with nature and more natural processes and thinking more about what they are eating and drinking and how it's produced in a, an ethical and an ecological way. It doesn't feel forced, like this idea of it being this natural process and these producers that really care about the product that they're making in a way that some drinks do. Whereas, you know, in, in cider making, you know that those people put everything into what they're doing and it has been a family obsession for some of them for a very long time. And that's, that's just one aspect of, all, of a whole. There are some delicious drinks coming out in the cider world. People drink it because it's delicious as well. Some people couldn't care less if there's a story behind it. And I appreciate that because there's just enough to appreciate in the flavours. So you're talking here about more the, the smaller craft makers. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's definitely the smaller producers that are pushing cider to another level of interest outside of its original diehard cider drinkers. The small makers are pushing people to say, look, cider's something different now and you'll love it. <laughs> so try it again. <laughs> Great. So in Corto, you're going to be selling beer, natural wines, a curated cider collection and perry in various formats. And one of the things that I find quite exciting is that when you are going to have customers actually sitting down in the in the bar, you're going to have like a served by the glass selection of natural wine, ciders yes. and perries and some special 750 ml bottles of beer. Do you want to yeah. tell us about that? It's funny because quite a lot of people have found this unusual, but it wasn't really something that we ever considered not doing. <laughs> it was just like, we love them and we want people 
to try them this is probably the best way to do that so we've had people come in already uh, who are really intrigued and interested in the different varieties of cider that we have but as a takeaway we can't offer them tasters and it just seems like a bit too much of a commitment to shell out for a whole 750 ml bottle they just don't want to make that jump which I completely understand if it's something brand new to you it seems like a lot especially if you think you might not like it whereas if we're selling it by the glass it's no big loss and you've learnt something along the way and I think that's just something we've always wanted to do anyway um, with beer because it's something we wished we could do when we go out yeah I think that's a really really good idea and lastly, I believe your friends at East Lancashire Camera brought you a beer cider hybrid to uh, celebrate the opening of, of Corto, the Mills Brewing and, and Tom Oliver collaboration. What do you think that says about modern cider and the, the modern drinker that they brought you that? It was a lovely present to receive. And yeah, you're right. It, it kind of shows like a, a development, doesn't it? That, that cider sort of elbowing its way in. <laughs> <laughs> it was given to me well it was given to us I keep saying me it was given to Tom as well um, as our opening present and with the with the words we know you like them sour beers which is a bit of a joke between us all because <laughs> I do love a sour beer and a lot of people don't really particularly rate them but the thing is Fox Vic 3 isn't an easy beer to source and a lot of thought was put into that asked someone even a year ago about a beer cider hybrid and you get a blank look, even for me, I think, about three years ago. So it's just amazing that these things have become more available. And I got to drink one for Christmas. <laughs> I think that's wonderful as well, because it was absolutely delicious. Oh, that's that's absolutely brilliant. And uh, it, it is a big present, that, because yeah. these particular brews sell out so quickly, don't they? You can't get hold of them. That's right, yeah. So it was very special to uh, get that as a... Um, like a lot of times throughout the opening weekend of our shop, I was a little overwhelmed just with like the generosity and kindness of people just coming in and being like, we're so glad that you managed to do this. You've been talking about it for ages. And it's so lovely that people really just keep telling us how happy they are that we've finally managed to do something. I think it's brilliant, Katie, and I can't wait till we can actually travel around and, and come see you and try out the concepts and try all the fantastic beers and ciders that you've got in there. There we are. I love listening to that. And I'll tell you what, it's made me really want some tapas. It's not the kind of thing you make at home tapas, is it? You know, you're not just sitting there thinking like, you know, I'll make myself a tiny version of what I would usually have. (laughs) You know, you usually have the full food. So tapas is going to be, what a big variety. That's going to be a new thing when we can uh, finally come out of lockdown. And it's a fabulous idea for a bar. I love love Clivero. I used to play a lot of tennis there. And uh, and, uh, it's my idea of a great evening. You know, you get a nice tasting selection of nibbles, try a few different brews that you've never tasted before i mean you throw in a good quiz and i'm in heaven i can totally associate myself with what you just said there matt i mean i i worked for many years overseas and uh, a lot of that was spent in spain and spanish resorts and some of those restaurants and, and little even the little tapas bars have just got it right sit down at a table get some drinks in and then they give you a paddle basically a red side and a green side red means stop green means go and you turn it over and they will just bring you food until you're stuffed and uh, yeah love it love a bit of tapas mm. now what i can imagine from that interview is that clean tasting drink like a cider or a peri being really great to cut through some of those bold flavors and i think it's a bit like what dave was saying in our first interview you do need a cider that's fit for the dinner table to make that breakthrough into getting it onto people's radar because it's not the first drink of of choice when people think about what to have with their meal is it no, I mean, even even beer wasn't all that long ago. And, and I, I think you're right, cider probably hasn't quite made that breakthrough yet. But I was intrigued by the beer-cider hybrid because when they first mentioned it, it did bring back some slightly unpleasant memories, particularly if you think of blackcurrant at the same time. Story of my teenage years, Claire yeah. Phillips. <laughs> yeah, snake bite. Not really a good idea, I don't think. But anyway, as soon as she mentioned that it was based on a sour beer, it did make a lot more sense and we should also add that Kath who carried out the interview is also a certified cider pomelia and co-founder of cider women she's put together a great article called the revealing story of women and cider and you can check that out in our learn and discover resources on the camera website 
I felt as though that beer cider hybrid, uh, I, I always did have the, the debate about different combinations of cider beer and different things. So there was a snake bite, there's diesel, isn't there? There's lots of different yeah. names and they're different mm. around the country. So I didn't, but I mean, uh, it, variety is a spice of life. So that is, that I, I'm willing to try it. You know, it might change my opinion. And I mean, that's been a really interesting theme in the interviews um, this time for me. And that a lot of, I think what a lot of people are missing because of lockdown is, is variety. You know, I mean, yeah. variety of life mm. for one thing, places you can go but also the, yeah. the variety of different drinks that you get when you go into a really good pub and you see and you try something that surprises you and you give something a go and i'm hoping that we'll that we'll get the chance to do that when when the lockdown is over and and i think adding you know some really good quality ciders and perries to your repertoire is a really good idea I will drink to that, absolutely. And on that note, I think we're just going to dip our little toes into the What's Brewing archive this week as we're looking uh, for information about cider trends. And we've found an article from a 1975 edition of What's Brewing that talks about the decline of the traditional cider industry driven by, surprise, surprise, mass-produced keg cider. And the article says that the only people producing real cider back then were the farmers and usually for their own consumption or maybe just to give to friends and family. Cool, and I, I reckon some of those were, <laughs> I mean, you know, some of them were probably very good, but some of them might not quite have been as good. Yeah, moonshine kind of vibe going on. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad to say that the 1975 article is now definitely history because producers, you know, they've taken a bit of a setback, cider and perry producers because of COVID, I think, but I think the appetite for a quality product that offers something a bit different will, I believe, mean that the cider and perry renaissance will continue. Well, let's oh. hope so. So it's it's time for last orders, and um, we've all been drinking cider this week, as, as the, list, the listener may have already guessed that. Um, but I'll start with the one that, uh, that that I've been, and it actually it was in a can, which I, I'm sometimes I think, oh, something in a can, do I want to drink that? But this was absolutely lovely. Um, it is from the Nightingale um, Company, and it's called Nightbird Cider. It's 4.9%. Uh, they describe it as a sparkling and refreshing medium cider. I'd have said maybe more on the medium dry side to my taste, but I really liked it. Um, and yeah, I was in, at the end, I was somewhat disappointed that it was only a small can and not a much bigger bottle of it because I could certainly uh, manage a pint of that. I think that Nightingale is in Kent. It's in a town called Tentenden, which um, I've driven through many times, never spotted them and never been in a pub there. So I don't know whether their ciders are available in the local pubs, but next time I'm in that part of the world, I'll, I'll have to have a look. Nice. Well, I also had uh, a, a can in my little goodie bag from the cat in the glass. This one was uh, a, collabor- a collaboration one, so it was a, it was a collaborative brew by Anxo over in Columbia Stateside, and they were working with Oliver's in Hereford to create something in that can that they called Hereford Gold. Now, this thing was strong. 6.9% dry cider, and I opened the can with a little bit of apprehension, I'm not going to lie, it was a lunchtime, and I was working that afternoon, but luckily <laughs> I didn't fall asleep um, because I, enjoy- I managed to enjoy it and uh, actually Matt you'll love this bit of detail I've captured for you because you want all the details the cider itself was made with gold rush and UK bittersweet so those who are really into their ciders might get an idea of the flavour combination but it was a hazy one it wasn't clear it was nice and hazy real woody earthy kind of vibe Um, and it really danced on the tongue with its gentle fizz but dry it was I mean it had a real dry finish um on it and, and a really dry feel to the palate you could sort of feel it working from the front of your tongue where your sweet taste buds are to where all the sour and dry nuts are at the back did i enjoy it yes i did would i have another one not too soon because it really was a strong cider but it was delicious oh, i love that i mean it's just a, a shame that that afternoon you were working as a heavy goods vehicle driver a retirement home <laughs> I retire. <laughs> now, now I, for something a little bit different, the other bottle that was sent to me by Cat and Glass was a Perry. Uh, I, I actually genuinely think that Perry should be the rising drink of the of the of the next few years. I think it's got absolutely massive potential because it's got that natural sweetness and it's also uh, a little bit different. 
which is always a good thing in a, in a crowded marketplace. And, and I think this is one of the best one that I do. Once Upon a Tree uh, is called. Oh, Absolutely love lovely. That. Just a real balance of tree. I think we, it was also in, I believe, the Canberra Beer Festival cider pack that I got uh, last year. So it's right up there. And, and, I, and I just think it's perfect for the summer. A nice balance of, of sweet with a bit of bite. Absolutely delicious definitely have to try some some more perries it's not something i know a great deal about so uh, that's another one on the list for when we're out of lockdown I, i'm just going to be going out drinking all the time at, well, at the moment as I far think as that's I the idea is it not and a big thanks of course to dick kath and nikki for arranging those drinks for us they were lovely thank you so yes much. thank you and that's just about it for this episode of Pubs, Pints, People. So um, I hope that uh, if you weren't as familiar with the world of cider, and even if you were familiar with uh, ciders and perries, that perhaps it's inspired you to try something that is new to you and you might well find you love. Now, next time, we're going to discover a bit more about community ownership for pubs, which may be a great option to save your favourite local. And there's certainly a lot of that going on at the moment. Of course, there were changes announced in the budget as well. We'd love to hear from you if you are involved in trying to save your local or maybe you've already done so and you've got some top tips for people who are perhaps looking at becoming a shareholder in their local pub. If you'd like to record us 30 seconds or so on your phone, send us the file, perhaps start with your name and your camera branch and the pub you're trying to save or have saved. Send us the file to podcast at camera.org.uk or, of course, you can tweet us what's going on with your local pub or one that you've got to save or have already saved. And, of course, on Twitter, you'll find us at pubs, pints, people. And hopefully we'll be able to feature a few of your thoughts, whether you send some audio, whether you just send us an email, as Tony did this week. We'll try and feature them in a future episode. We certainly will. And with that, from Matt, Claire and myself, we do hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Bye for now and stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... 
Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.